This is the CU 2.0 podcast with your host, Robert McGarvey. Big new ideas about credit unions. Big new ideas about credit unions. CU 2.0 podcast. Kirk Trick, you know who Kirk Trick is. CEO of CU 2.0. But he also spent 15 plus years conceiving, building, and nurturing ongoing operations. As a QZO focused on disaster recovery, cloud services, and more. Now he's moving away. New leader there is Steve Bone. You're going to hear a podcast from him that posts Wednesday about his vision for Ogo's near-term future. In this podcast, however, this is about Drake. He reminisces a little about Ogo, muses about the growing role of fintechs in the lives of credit unions, and gets downright excited about Painted Hills. That's a QZO he recently birthed. Definitely you want to read now about Oregon's Painted Hills. There's a link to that in the show notes. Three credit unions, Rogue, Maps, and Carter are already involved. You want to hear about Painted Hills because it's intended to help solve credit union balance sheet problems that right now afflict many institutions. Listen up. So we're going to talk about Ogo and also about Painted Hills. Yeah, exclusive on Painted Hills. I'm not ready. I'm not talking about any place else yet, Robert. Just, just oh, for you. good. So, what what do you want to say about leaving Ogo? I mean, you were there how many years? A long time since since you were a little boy. Actually, I think you started yeah. when you were in, in grammar school. I was, yeah, it was 20, 25, 26 when we like, probably twenty five ish when we got the, when we kind of came up with the idea. Twenty six, twenty seven when it was funded and really kind of started getting things going. And yeah, really, it was a phenomenal you know fifteen, sixteen year period really enjoyed you know the everything i learned along the way we pioneered a lot of great things like some of the qso structure and having entrepreneurs have equity with qso's and working with you know a large um, variety of of different credit unions with different sizes and and you know a hundred probably a hundred different disasters that we helped credit unions kind of recover from and the transition into cloud computing and SD-WAN technology and cyber, the kind of growth of cyber risk profiling, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it was just a, it was, you know, really great environment to learn, great investors over the years. And it was just kind of this point that I think there there wasn't much left for me to do new, new, interesting, kind of exciting on the OGO side. And it just felt like it was the right time to hand the baton to Steve, who I think really um, has both the energy and the enthusiasm for the model and the and the credit involved and all that to kind of take it to the next level and and really go in that direction. So it just all of that kind of coalesced, um, you know. And it, and then I, quite honestly, with the pandemic and everything going on with CU two and and the work we've been doing in fintechs and trying to make credit unions the kind of dominant player with fintechs on that side, it just seemed like the timing was really right to go double down on those strategies and and really help credit unions get to the get as an industry get to that next level where I felt like you know Ogo was very very focused on back office regulatory technology and while that's important it isn't as impactful I think as some of the fintech longer term trend stuff that I really wanted to be more focused on I'm not going to ask you for names but before Steve did you consider other possible candidates who, for whatever reason, didn't work out. Yeah, so so we we had some people along the way, and you know, definitely, you know, I think it's always the challenge for crazy entrepreneurs: how do you replace yourself, right? Um, 
And, uh, and so definitely evaluated if people did a pretty extensive search when we brought on Steve really had great candidates. Any, any one of them, I think would have been good, but I, I think Steve was the right guy and, and, uh, he's, he's made big contributions and, you know, it's, uh, and been willing, he's, you know, that I think the challenge in Ogo is you, you need a certain amount of tech skill. You need a certain amount of credit unit industry kind of knowledge. And then you need the business fundamentals of running uh, a managed service provider, which is a very different business than a credit union and very different than a lot of other fintechs that are out there because you're, you're really kind of an operational entity as opposed to necessarily an innovation ent- entity in that capacity. And so trying to find that person was definitely very, very challenging. You also need to be comfortable with selling, which a lot yeah. of credit credit union people say we don't sell. And right. the truth is they don't sell. They should sell more than they do, but they don't. <laughs> right. Very true. Now I assume that easing the way to this separation was when you moved to Oregon. And that was quite a few years ago, right? Five years ago. Yeah. I mean, it was always um, you know, there's been a couple of times along the way in Ogo's journey where I thought I was close. I think C wallet was one of those times in 2013, 2014, and that the timing just wasn't quite right. And then I knew when I wrote credit 2.0 and really started speaking on that, that that was kind of building that divergent path again, but it really, you know, the Ogo had gotten to a good place. We'd gotten to profitability and we're, we're making a little money and helping more credit unions and the cloud was kind of well underway. And so, you know, it, 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 I could see a world where both things were true and they, and they were for five or six years. And then I think just in the last year or two with, with COVID and the success of credit union 2.0, I just felt like I, I, it was going to be funny coming from me as I really needed to focus on, on one and that I wasn't going to do either one as I wasn't going to have the impact I wanted to have on either one. If I didn't, if I didn't really pick one and focus on that. Well, Algo is making some dramatic transitions, namely going all in on the cloud. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually, it had been a fairly static business, but that's not true anymore. There's a lot of big changes that have yeah, to be made absolutely do you, do you want to embrace it obviously you decided you want to embrace something else i also think getting you out of the building 24 7 and and at ogo made it easier to transition away from you i think that's true i mean i, I you know the it's it's a weird thing we were 100 percent remote you know 15 years ago right i wasn't gonna i wasn't willing to drive all the way up to hagerstown where the data center was you know back then and so Kind of work out with uh, the board that I stayed in downtown BC and would go up every now and then, and then got more remote over the years. And I think some of the transition that is is occurring is, you know, everybody's used to remote now, and so that was a big competitive advantage for us for quite some time. And I think it's coming back as people return to work, and you know, things aren't quite as rosy as everybody thought they would be in the post-pandemic world. You know, but you know, and quite honestly, what it really showed a lot of credit is you didn't need to have your physical data center right next to you because during the pandemic for two years, you ran it remotely, right? Um, so I think it really got everybody over that hurdle once and for all. And so I think that final push for Ogo to get everybody to Azure and SD WAN and you know, fully remote in all that tech stack, uh, kind of stuff was just it's the right time and all of that. And 
and just, you know, candidly too, like it's, you figure after 15, 16 years and a number of those uh, pivots and adjustments over time. And, you know, like it was, there's also recognition on my part that I, I don't have the the same energy to make that migration for all those clients again, because it requires going back and having hard conversations about how to change things and where to move them and th- things that have always worked a certain way aren't going to and recognizing that that Steve has a lot more energy and enthusiasm to kind of do that. Well, you're also shifting gears and focusing on a new arena for credit unions and it's the fintech arena. And yeah. my theory, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you believe the same thing, is that without good fintech alliances, pretty much every credit union except possibly Navy Federal is going out of business because they yeah. cannot do, they cannot do this internally. They just can't. Well, and, and even the, the credit unions that can do it internally, in my experience, can do two or three, right? And after two or three, their balance sheet fills up, their you know servicing department fills up, their call center fills up, whatever it is, doesn't scale to 50 fintech partnerships. And, and I think the other problem really for the industry, which I think gets into some of the Painted Hills pieces, you got a race of credit unions that are... A, that don't have all the information because a fintech that works with 100 credit unions sees 100 different deals and your credit union only sees the one with that fintech or maybe two or three fintechs. And so, for example, let's say you're, you've partnered and you're doing home equity lending with a fintech. Well, it turns out there's 20 or 30 different home equity lenders, right? And unless you've talked to all 20 or 30, you really don't know how to compare fintech A to fintech B, loan term A to loan term B what the underwriting criteria, all those little esoteric differences between them are are much harder to see. And while you might be happy with the deal you have right now with that one, the second you see 20 others, you go, oh, I left a lot of money on the table. I'm not actually doing the best thing for my members. I'm not you know, doing that. And I think that's a key part of what CU2 and Painted Hills are really focused on is how do we make this a, a systemic solution that works across a, you know, a $25 million credit union to a, a $5 billion credit union, as opposed to how does my one credit union win and survive? Because if we, if we do it systemically, we have a much better chance of, of really leveraging what we're great at as an industry on behalf of a large, a lot of fintechs and reinventing ourselves versus just, you know, competing with all of the, all of each other in, in kind of the way it's kind of working right now. I think it's also going to become more important for credit unions to differentiate from other credit unions. Yeah. And in my mind, it's fairly sad that hundreds, maybe thousands of credit unions use the same few mobile banking platforms. Totally. Chase does not use what City uses. I right. mean, that's just, that's just an un- that's, that's unthinkable. It's crazy time. So how the heck are you differentiated? Your website looks the same. Your mobile app looks the same. It's like, uh, well, yeah, the name's different, but everything else is the same, man. Right. And and the reality is that 80% solution that is your traditional home equity line of credit or your home equity loan or your credit card that works for 80% of your members, we're seeing the, as different generations grow up and as they treat banking different and have a different relationship with money, they don't want the 80% solution. They want, the the fintechs are able to exploit a very specific market opportunity that only exists for 4% of consumers, but 4% nationwide is a big enough scale 
uh, in that, but but your credit union offering that one thing to the 42 members you have doesn't make any sense, right? And so being able to meet your members where they are in all these different delivery channels, point of sale loans, home equity, you know, car loans, et cetera, really requires multiple partnerships and multiple different life stages for those members, not you know this one size fits all approach. And FinTechs, I think, also help credit unions offer better products and services to millennials and Gen Z. Yeah. I think today's credit union in America basically is a wonderful baby boomer institution. It's perfect, designed for baby boomers. Yep. It's, yep. Unfortunately, the money action is moving to millennials and Gen Z. So exactly. it's time to shift gears. And I'm not saying there you have to fire everybody over 40 in your credit union, but it would help if you bring in some fintech guys who can relate to this population. Right. Right. And I think this idea that you're going to have, you know, all millennials, you know, who really it's, you know, the, the one, one of my observations of having kids and kind of learning, you know, growing up and, and doing that is the life stage that I'm at actually really has very little to do with the life stage my friend is at. Right. Because, you know, we can be best college buds. Uh, perfect example, my college roommate, kids are graduating and they're in, in, in college right now. I had kids 10 years later. Right. right. So I'm just in a very different life stage. And if you lump us together and think that we need the same thing out of our financial institution, it, it really doesn't actually make any sense to have it be so specifically tied to an age or demographic and be more tied to meeting the member with where they are right now, which which may or may not have anything to do with socioeconomic status. Or those, I mean, those, those things certainly influence it. But the reality is we're at different points in those in those time horizons. And the 80% piece, I often find really um, doesn't, uh, you know, credit unions early on were really derived around this idea of providing credit, right, for people who couldn't get it. I don't think there's anybody in millennial world that can't get credit, right? So the game has shifted where credit unions need to be solving the next problem in that Mavslov's hierarchy of needs for those consumers, which isn't necessarily accessibility of credit and individualization, but more probably around personalization, uh, micro circumstances, and and being able to solve a, a life stage thing through convenience or or something else in that that is very different than just simply accessibility or taking the first chance on. Well, when I first got involved in credit unions, what I was told was the credit union is a very simple spread business. Yep. And that model was true. Very few credit unions can operate successfully today as simple spread businesses. Some are yep. trying, but they're not necessarily succeeding. In any event, right. Painted Hills, I heard about this a month or so ago from a senior credit union executive whom you probably were talking to about getting a possible investment. Yep. And uh, I don't know where that conversation went. And I said, painted what? <laughs> He's yep. doing painted what? So and found out that this is this is a geological formation in Oregon, quite quite eye-catching. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, and the idea really was for as long as I've worked in credit unions, we've shared the same problem over and over again, which is as the macroeconomic environment changes, it messes with our balance sheets, which then causes the NCUA to harass us around loan to share ratios and NEV ratios and all these other things that take us away. 
that become balance sheet problems as opposed to member growth or member value problems. And so the the idea of Painted Hills, which is its formation, is that as the sun moves across the valley where there's a monument in Oregon, the rocks kind of change color as the day goes on and as the sun moves across the sky. And to me, if if Painted Hills can solve for the fact that a bunch of stimulus money is printed and all your ratios are out of whack, but I can give you a place to put 10% of your you know loan portfolio to give you both a good yield, but also to um, maximize the performance in that time period while you stay focused on organically growing your your credit union with with your best members, as opposed to having to go chase some short term liquidity solution. That that really helps all credit unions sustainably grow long term and deliver more value back to their members. And so, Painted Hills is built around that concept of how do we you know give a credit union the ability that says I can take five, ten, twenty percent of my portfolio. Maybe I'm a community charter credit union and I can't grow my field of membership. Maybe I've got some other scenario that's that's keeping me from that. I could park that 5, 10, 20% of my portfolio. I can pick a variety of asset classes, interest rates, yields, et cetera. And the loan volume can be produced on my behalf, sit on my balance sheet. And as I grow into that size, my ratios, everything else stays where they need to be so I can sustainably focus on building a better credit union in that boat. So what exactly is Painted Hills going to do? So what we do is we part, We have a, a handful of credit unions that have national fields of membership that they could take any member. They book the loans with uh, their underwriting boxes and, their, and we do a bunch of validation around KYC, OFAC, did the fintech um, meet the underwriting criteria, are the loans performing as expected? And we take all those loans, put them on those sourcing credit union books from a variety of different fintechs whether they're home equity, uh, you know, pool lenders or, you know, auto lenders, all sorts of different use cases, Anderson Windows, you name it. Um, those loans sit on the credit union books while they're seasoned a bit, you know, 30 to 60 days. And then they're participated downstream to the credit unions that don't have those same fields of membership, but have the need for those different asset classes and yields on that side. And so it really, uh, it really takes those fintech generated loans and bound members puts them right into the credit union industry and, and moves them through the, the credit union ecosystem. What size credit union do you see wanting to participate in this? I think this will appeal from 25 million and up. I think early on, we're pretty focused on the larger guys to build the scale and the volume and, and that capital. But we expect pretty quickly to move downstream and, and bring those, those smaller credit unions along in that entire world. Right? I think it's more based on what your membership limitations are and which fintechs you want to work with than it is based on the the credit union size. So is your target at this point credit unions rather than fintechs? And do you feel once you get the credit unions, the fintechs will follow? Yeah, it's the classic poultry, you know, problem. So chicken or the egg. I've got three credit unions that will source a lot of loans and have done a lot of um, loan participations already. And then uh, we need to add a bunch more lending credit unions at this point. So I'm pretty focused on that. And then I've got about 30, 40 fintechs in the wings that are willing to produce members, loans, you know, et cetera, for credit unions once we get enough credit unions ready to buy loans on the backside. When do you see Painted Hills launching? So we formed in April. Um, two of the credit unions were already doing quite a bit of volume um, around auto, home equity, and 
uh, unsecured personal loans in this regard already and those participations. So we spent most of this quarter building out a multi-tenant loan sales system that allows us to pool and sell loans and do all the remittance across a wide variety of credit unions and validating all of that. Next quarter, we're adding in autos and home equities and, and kind of scaling that tool up in that regard, but we're expecting to start moving loan product in Q3. Can you name the credit unions that are involved? Yeah, so right now, Rogue, uh, Carter, and MAP credit unions are involved collectively about $6 billion in assets, and uh, and two are in the state of Oregon because they have some um, unique things that they can do as state chartered there. And then the third, Carter, is in Shreveport, Louisiana, and they're a CDFI credit union. A little smaller, but uh, very scrappy and doing a lot of interesting things in this regard as well. So, no, that's an interesting group you have there. And uh, it, it, Carter is not the biggest credit union, so it also shows that you can go a bit small. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking for for three credit unions that I knew could move fast and uh, had some experience with this already and and weren't afraid and recognized the need for this as a systemic solution and were willing to... Um, you know, frankly, dilute themselves over time as we bring in more credit units. They weren't looking to just own and control the whole thing long term. Well, none of those three is what I would call a giant credit union. Right. And sometimes the giant ones want to be, um, they want to have a monogamous relationship to the extent that they can. <laughs> yeah, so. ab- absolutely. And that, and that's that was really important to me that this, if this is going to be a systemic solution, we needed to be addressing you know, the broader market needs, what NCUA needs out of it, what the state regulators need out of it, what the the individual credit unions need, uh, both on the buy loan side to create that ecosystem. And if we were going to just build it for one credit union and hide it in a corner, um, I'm not sure we're really going to help move the needle for the industry. Where is this CUSO based? It's based in, in Oregon. So, uh, you know, Rogue is, is down the street. They've lent a ton of uh, each of the credit unions has kind of brought some different expertise to the table, but um, they've lent uh, enterprise risk manager, their head of lending and, and CFO, and they've got a kind uh, of Ethan that does a lot of the loan pool, um, you know, analysis and work. And so they've, they've lent a lot of resources to kind of making this work and scale it up quickly. And so I, I, I thought, uh, A, Rogue is a great name, but then B, you know, they're doing a lot of innovative stuff and, and they're frankly down the street for me. The CU 2.0 Podcast.